Well, hello. My name is Adam Martin, and I'm on the teaching team here at Seacoast. We're glad you guys are with us today, especially want to welcome those of you who may be joining us from another campus. Glad y'all are along for the ride as well. Hey, uh, let me just say this. It is good to be at church today because it is air-conditioned in this church. And on Thursday, uh, our air conditioner decided that it had fulfilled its purpose in life and that it would pass on to whatever its next life was. Now, you may have read the uh, book, All Dogs Go to Heaven. I'm going to tell you now, air conditioners that break in July, they don't go to heaven. (laughs) That's not where they go. So we are really glad to be here at church. And uh, forgive me if I take my time with the message, but I know how hot it is back at my house. So we're fine to stay here as long as it takes. Let me pray and we'll get started. God, we are grateful for a chance to be here today, for a chance to worship you and a chance to hear whatever it is you have to say to us. Lord, open our eyes, our hearts, our minds that we would receive from you what you have for us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, some of you may know that we're in a series called Mixtape where we're taking a look at a few contemporary songs because music is a powerful medium. Music says something about us as a culture, but it also says something to us. And so today, obviously, we're going to look at the song, Let It Go, from the movie Frozen. Now, how many of you know or have a child that knows every word to that song? Anybody? It's a lot of hands. And how many of you would be willing to pay them a fair amount of money to not sing it quite so often? Anybody? (laughs) About the same number of hands. So here's the thing about Let It Go. Uh, We've heard it a lot at this point. It's a beautiful song, but it could have been worse. Uh, In this mixtape series, it could have been one of these songs. I have here a list of songs, the all-time worst song titles in music history. Okay, so it could have been, She Thinks My Tractor's Sexy. (laughs) I don't know what to do with that, but it could have been that. It could have been, My wife ran off with my best friend, and I sure do miss him. (laughs) Could have been that. It could have been, I'm so miserable without you, it's just like having you here. (laughs) Could have been that one. Yeah, you guys are kind of quiet. You need to wake up a little bit. This is the interactive part. We need to get in this together, okay? It could have been one of those. Now, if you really like one of those songs, our final week of the mixtape series, we're going to do a a song that you choose by voting for it on our Facebook page. So you feel free to vote for any of those songs. I can't promise those will end up being the ones we do, but that doesn't mean you can't vote for them, so you go right ahead. How many of you have actually seen the movie Frozen? Anybody? Okay, almost everyone. Good. And so here in this song, Let It Go, we have one of the main characters, Elsa, declaring independence from a secret that she'd been keeping for really all of her life. We get the impression from the song that Elsa had a problem. When she touched things, they would turn to ice. And it was a problem she had from a very young age. Now, the advice that her parents gave her was this. Don't tell anyone. Keep this a secret. They will never understand. And so for years, Elsa carried the secret, ashamed of her story and fearful that people would learn the truth about her. 
until she finally couldn't take it anymore. And what did she do? That was a question. What did she do? She let it go. Right, she couldn't take it anymore. Basically, what happened is she had a good old-fashioned Disney breakdown. Now, a Disney breakdown looks like this. You get beautiful new hair and a beautiful new dress, and you make an ice, a castle made of ice, and then you sing about it. It's probably a lot like the breakdowns you have at your house, right? (laughs) But that's what this song is about. It's about an epic breakdown. Now, as we look at this song today, here's what I want to do. Let's just consider three questions, okay? Just three questions. Here's the first one. How did Elsa get here? How did Elsa get here? Here's this girl who has just become the queen, right? She has power. She has resources. People generally like her, but it wasn't enough. You see, nobody really knew Elsa, She worked very hard to present a version of herself that she wanted others to see. But most of her life was spent hiding and generally just not letting anybody get close enough to really know her. There was the Elsa that people saw and then there was the real Elsa. And the two were distinctly different people. You know, I wonder how many of us live like that where we present a version of ourselves that looks like we have it all together, but inwardly, we're coming apart. I wonder how many of us carry secrets that nobody else knows. And I wonder how many of us carry shame because of those secrets. And are we desperately afraid of being seen for who we really are? You know, believe it or not, this isn't a new strategy. We can see it as far back as the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. God made Adam and Eve, and he made everything for their enjoyment. He made more for them to enjoy in in a lifetime. But he did say, there is one tree. I don't want you to eat from this tree. There's more here than you can enjoy in your entire lives. So what did they do? They went and they ate from that tree and created a real problem. Now, here's what happened next. Let me read it to you. The man and his wife heard the sound of God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from God among the trees of the garden. But God called to the man, where are you? And Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid They hid because they were ashamed and afraid. Hiding was Adam and Eve's story. Hiding was Elsa's story. And for too many of us, hiding is our story. Now, how many of you have ever had something in your lives that you wished you could hide from everyone else? Anybody? I didn't ask you to raise your hands. You don't have to, but now people know that you have a story. So you've just let it go. Good job. I have. If I have to answer the question, I I have a story that I would love to hide from everyone else. Uh, And some of you have heard this story. 
Um, so just bear with me. But, but most of you have not. As we were talking about this message, several of the pastors said, listen, you've got to share this story again. So few people heard it the first time. And it, it is one of those stories that just is going to help illustrate the points you're trying to make. So before you run out, if you, I, a woman told me last night, I grabbed my child's hand thinking you were about to share something really dark and heavy. <laughs> I'm not. It, it will be fun for you. It won't be so much fun for me, but uh, you will enjoy this. It happened when I was 10 years old, okay? I grew up in a home full of a bunch of competitive swimmers. My father was an Olympic swimmer. Who's, he's here today with us. And he never pushed us in that direction. We just loved swimming. So we did it all the time, right? And anything you, you, you do for a long time, you get pretty good at it. So at 10 years old, I qualified for a Junior Olympic swim meet. And it was a big deal. I mean, this was the Super Bowl of swimming to a 10-year-old, right? So I was super excited, 100% committed to this. We would practice before school. We would practice after school. I mean, it, we had special coaching. This was it for me. And so the event was to be held at the Indianapolis University Natatorium. It's the largest indoor swimming facility in the country. It seats 4,700 people. Let me show you a couple of pictures of this place. This is where they hold Olympic trials events a lot of times. They hold NCAA championship meets here. It's the epicenter of American swimming. And if it's happened in competitive swimming worldwide, it's probably happened here at this venue once or twice. So, now as a swimmer, my best events were distance freestyle and butterfly. And I qualified to swim the finals in the 100-yard butterfly. All of those months of preparation and sacrifice. I don't know what a 10-year-old really knows about sacrifice, but just go with me here. So sacrifice. <laughs> We're about to pay off. And uh, they called us out to the pool deck, introduced us, put us behind the blocks, called us up to take our mark, fired the gun, and the race was on. We hit the water. Right away, I knew something was wrong. You see, the water felt colder to me than it had felt in prelims and warm-ups. In all of my excitement, in all of my preparation, I had forgotten to tie my swimsuit. I told you this would be fun for you. So let me help you understand what happened, okay? I have here with me a swimsuit that we wore in competition. And I'll also say this, any swimsuit you can pull out of a back pocket, that's a questionable garment. We just need to settle that right now, okay? So do you know what happens to these when they get wet and rolled up real tight? They turn into lycra handcuffs. That's what happens. And that's what was happening to me about right here, okay? You get it. I'm going to put these away because they're, they're going to distract me and you. <laughs> the best thing you could do is just start over. Just take them off and start over. The event was the 100-yard butterfly. I don't know what you know about the butterfly, but it's the one stroke where you can't separate your feet when you kick. So if you do it properly, your butt has to come out of the water <laughs> every time you kick. The smart thing to do would have been stop. Make the adjustment. Just take a disqualification and move on with my life. But my thought was, I left my dignity back there where we dove in. 
So game on, let's do this. Four laps, about a minute and seven seconds worth of quality entertainment to a capacity crowd of 4,700 people. I didn't win that race, but I also didn't get last place, which means there were a few swimmers that got beat by a naked kid that day. Now, believe it or not, the race was not the hard part. Getting out of the water to a standing ovation, that was harder. All I wanted to do was get to the locker room. And so I started to move there as quickly as possible. As I got closer, I noticed my coach was walking towards me. And I thought, oh good, somebody who might have something encouraging to offer here. Something to make this feel a little better than it does right now. And he walked up to me, he put his hand on my shoulder, and choking back laughter, he looked at me and said, Adam, at least it wasn't the backstroke. <laughs> it didn't help. I didn't feel any better. From then on, I was the kid who swam the 100-yard butterfly naked at the Junior Olympics. It was something that I wished I could hide forever. Hiding is a defense mechanism for us, isn't it? Hiding was Adam and Eve's story. And hiding was Elsa's story. And for too many of us, for reasons far more significant than a swim race, hiding is our story. Now that brings me to our second question. Why does this matter to me? You might be sitting in your chairs thinking, you do realize this is about a Disney character, right? And I do, I get that, I understand. But I think there's something here for us. Before I answer the question, let me just offer you a quick story. I'm fully clothed in this next story, so I feel great about it. It's about a woman named Brene Brown, who is a research professor at the University of Houston in the field of psychology. She's brilliant, I mean brilliant. She's written three books that have landed on the New York Times bestseller list. And she's one of the leading research psychologists in the world. Brene Brown became curious why people were so fixated on the ideas of connection and vulnerability. And so, she didn't have an objection to connection and vulnerability directly. It's not like she thought they were inherently bad. She just challenged that they were a necessary component of human interaction. So she set out on her research. She conducted thousands of interviews, literally, and collected thousands of stories. And from the data, she started to see a common thread. The only conclusion her research would allow was this, that people long for and are most satisfied when they live vulnerably connected to one another. People long for and are most satisfied when they live vulnerably connected to one another. So this led to a breakdown <laughs> for Brene Brown. 
It wasn't a breakthrough, it was a breakdown. And she found herself sitting in a therapist's office. What she had learned is something she didn't want to learn. She started to see something she never wanted to see. She had started her research by trying to push vulnerability out of the spotlight. And in her words, she said, I found that vulnerability was pushing back. Her conclusion was this. Let me read you her words. While vulnerability can be the core of shame, fear, and our struggle for worthiness, it is also apparently the birthplace of joy, creativity, belonging, and love. Here's the deal. We are wired for connection. We may not like that, but it doesn't change it. We are wired to be seen and to be known by other people. But when we live with secrets, we isolate ourselves, just like Elsa. And when we isolate ourselves, we begin to come apart, just like Elsa. The writer of Ecclesiastes understood this, and he wrote it down this way. Let me read it to you. Two are better than one because they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But if someone falls alone, they are in real trouble. Two, excuse me, a person standing alone can be defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better. For a triple braided cord is not easily broken. So we started with a question. Why does this matter to me? It matters because all of us, all of us were designed to be connected openly, honestly, vulnerably with each other. If you're an introvert like me, don't freak out. That doesn't mean you have to know a bunch of people. It just means that a few people ought to really know you. All of this matters because choosing a life that is pretty but full of secrets will isolate us every time. But choosing a life that is vulnerable and real and honest, that will bring freedom. Now let me ask you a third question. Could letting go be the start of freedom for you? Could letting go be the start of freedom for you? Let me offer you one more story. This one's from John chapter 5. And it says this. Some time later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem a pool, which is in Aramaic is called Bethesda. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to be well? So here Jesus looks into the face of a man 
who is paralyzed in some capacity. We don't necessarily know how. And he asks him, do you want to be well? That seems like an odd question, right? I mean, if you were paralyzed in any capacity, wouldn't you want to be well? He was lying beside a pool where it was believed that from time to time, angels would come and stir up the water. And the first one into the water after they'd been stirred would be healed of whatever disease or affliction they had. So of course the man wanted to be well. That's why he was laying beside this pool. But let's take a closer look at Jesus' question. Jesus asked the man, do you want to be well? The Greek word for the man's condition, this, this text originally was written in the Greek, and so the word for the man's condition is asthenia. It means frail, weak, or crippled. The opposite of the man's condition was a word, a Greek word called dunamis, meaning able, strong, or powerful. That's what the man wanted. He wanted to be able, strong, powerful. But that's not what Jesus asked him. Interestingly enough, Jesus used a different word. He didn't ask him, do you want to be able, strong, or powerful? Jesus used a word that means whole, complete, fully restored. Jesus was asking the man, do you want to be whole? You see, the man was far more broken than he realized. You know what I love about the story? It's verse 6. Let me read it to you one more time. It says this. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked the man, do you want to be well? Here's why I love it. Jesus saw the man. Jesus learned his story. And Jesus invited the man to experience more than what the man was pursuing for himself. I wonder if it would surprise any of you to know that Jesus sees you. I mean all of you. Even the parts of us that we try to hide from one another. I wonder if it would surprise you to know that Jesus knows your story, that he understands you, maybe even better than you understand yourself. And I wonder if it would surprise any of us to know that he has the same invitation for us, for every one of you. Do you want more than the life you are pursuing? You know, there are really only two kinds of people in the world. There are those who are broken and they know it, And then there are those who are broken and they don't know it. But there's nobody who's unbroken. Several years ago, uh, my sister-in-law went through a divorce. And uh, honestly, I just underestimated the ripple effect of divorce. I mean, I've seen it. uh, So I know it takes a tremendous toll on the couple. It's one of the most traumatic things people go through. Uh, But I just underestimated how it ripples out from there sometimes. And so Dana and I, we found ourselves in our marriage carrying some of that stress. We were arguing more. We were just struggling. 
And as with most men and women, it was heavier for her than it was for me, which was only more frustrating for her. Basically, I was driving my wife crazy. Okay, we'll just put it out there. Now, she suggested that we go see a counselor. Here's an idea that most men will resist right from the start. Because men don't like to talk about their problems. Men don't even like to admit they have problems. Sometimes we're slow enough to not know we have problems. All the women in here are saying amen under their breath right now. (laughs) But in this case, I was like, yes, that's a great idea. Let's go see a counselor. They will help you see how crazy you're acting. (laughs) Love you, honey. And so we did. We went and saw a gifted uh, counselor who's a friend and Uh, We walked in and she said, what's going on? I said, listen, I think I've broken my wife and I'm going to need your help to put her back together again. And so we talked for about 45 minutes and then in a very counselor way, she kind of leaned in and said, Dana, I would love to see you again. And I thought, sweet, she's getting it. She's going to help my wife sort out all these problems. And then she looked at me and she said, Adam, I would love to see you once a week for the next two months. (laughs) I didn't know what to say. And she started to say back to me some of the things I had just said to her. And for the first time in my life, I saw it. I saw some of the brokenness that I never knew I was carrying. To face my brokenness was the start of a kind of freedom that I never knew existed. But I had to stop hiding from it to get there. Like the man at the pool, we're all broken, all of us. And we're probably more broken than we realize, which is okay. We just have to be willing to stop hiding from it, to face it, and maybe even talk about it with others. Oswald Chambers says this, true friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, me too. When we're finally willing to stop hiding, to face our brokenness, to let it go, we will probably find there are some people standing around us saying, me too. I can almost promise you, you will not be alone. So let me start to close with this. A verse that I think Disney may have ripped off to write their song. It's from Hebrews chapter 12, and it says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. You know, if I had to summarize what we've talked about here, I'd probably do it this way. Get real, get connected, and get moving. Get real. Let go. A life of secrets is going to isolate you. Get connected. We were all designed 
to live vulnerably connected to one another and get moving. We can face our brokenness because we know that God is able to make us whole again. You know, the last thing that uh, we want to do is to tell you guys how important it is that we get connected and then not give you some ways to do that. So uh, let me tell you this. Uh, In October, we're going to have a marriage conference. And uh, I've seen two of these marriage conferences now. They do a phenomenal job with them. I mean, the, the team that puts them together is just something else. And so... Here's what I'll say about it. If you are interested in being encouraged, in laughing until your stomach hurts, in uh, learning some things that will help you strengthen your marriage and meeting some couples that might uh, be interested in doing the same, then you don't want to miss this. In September, the first weekend of September, we're going to have a small group series that the whole church, every campus, and hopefully every person is going to participate in. I've gotten to see some of the content for, the, for this series, and, and I'll tell you this. This is a series that isn't going, it's not going to matter where you are in your relationship with God. You may have had a relationship with God for 50 years, or you may still be on the fence wondering, what is this all about? This series is going to encourage you, and it's going to challenge you. And so right there, in the next two and a half months, there's a way that every single person in the church, can get connected. Brene Brown, the woman that we talked about earlier, she said that her breakthrough came when she started to study the word courage. Here's what she said. The root of the word courage is the Latin word core, meaning heart. So in its earliest form, The word courage meant to tell the story of your whole heart. If we're willing to get real, to get connected, to get moving, to tell the story of our whole heart, no more hiding, we will probably find ourselves stepping into a kind of freedom that we never knew existed. Let's pray. God, we are grateful, grateful for the way that you love us, grateful for the way that you came for us, just like you came for Adam and Eve in the garden, calling out to them, where are you? You are calling out to us. And I pray that you'll give us courage to answer that call. Lord, we're grateful also that you are the God who is able to take our brokenness and to make it whole again. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.